Thank you for listening to the Faith Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for the first Sunday after Trinity, June 19th, 2022, is preached by Pastor Steve Munfram. If you have questions or comments regarding today's message, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website at faithlutheran-aflc.org. So just by way of, uh, uh, I don't know, comment, I guess, uh, I, I appreciate uh, Pastor Goodham uh, almost always preaches from assigned text in the, in the yearly uh, cycle of scripture lessons and readings that are assigned for the church that have been established for a long time. And I'm not doing that. This is a passage of scripture that I'm preaching on because I want to preach on it. So um, just, I don't know if that matters to you or not. But. So our text is Habakkuk 2, 18 through 20. Uh, I should talk a little bit so that you have time to find Habakkuk in your Bible because uh, it's not familiar to us, but, you know, close to the end of the Old Testament there with all those other short prophets that we have been studying in our midweek Bible study, and we'll get back to that. So would you stand, please, for the reading of God's Word. Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 18 through 20, and uh, primarily we will focus this morning on verse 20, which is well familiar to you. What profit is the idol when its maker has carved it, or an image, a teacher of falsehood, for its maker trusts in his own handiwork when he fashions speechless idols? Woe to him who says to a piece of wood, awake, to a mute stone, arise, and that is your teacher. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all inside it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for uh, this, your Lord's Day for the joy and the privilege we have to gather together as your people, to hear your word and rejoice and fellowship together. And God, we ask that you would come and be present here in our sanctuary and that the benefit and the, and the blessing that comes to us would be because we have been in the presence of God who has visited us through his word. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So this verse or this statement or, you know, in some respects a song that we sing at the beginning of our service, our call to worship passage, has always kind of fascinated me. This idea, the Lord is in his temple now. Shh! And that, that by the way, is probably the most literal translation of that as I understand it from the Hebrew. The Lord is in his holy temple earth before him. It, there's an there's a intensity to it and a, and a, um, a drama. And you know when I was a kid man you heard that in church all the time right? All the time. As like that was the call to worship passage of those days, right? Shh. Uh, parents to kids, shh. The, 
We don't have any cantankerous old ladies in our church, but there many churches had kind of uh, kind of demanding like shh kids. It's fascinating, isn't it? Here we come into the presence of God, and we and we already sang, didn't we? Opening hymn, sing all ye lands. So what exactly, what should we do? Should we sing out? Or, you know, that, that hymn is a paraphrase of Psalm 100, which in the older translation begins, shout to the Lord. Should we come to church and shout and sing and praise and pray and, and gab and catch up with our friends and all of those Incredible things we do, or should we sit in silence? And, uh, and uh, I'm not going to be able to give anything like the definitive word on that on that question, right? What do we do? Do we are we a noisy church or are we a quiet church? And and maybe the important verse for us also to remember this morning is Ecclesiastes 3.7, which says, there is a time to be silent and there is a time to speak. And, and certainly that's true in our, in our church, isn't it? That there is a time to be silent and there is a time to speak. And uh, what we're going to talk about mostly this morning is the time to be silent. What exactly is that time to be silent, that hushing, being silent before the Lord? And uh, our text tells us, in a sense, what that time is. We should be silent when we are before the Lord in his holy temple. Before the Lord in his holy temple. Now, I'm not sure I'm able to... We think about that idea. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Now, now I'm not... I I don't think it means the the historic temple building on Mount Zion, although that wouldn't be excluded. But but the whole earth has never been in that temple. That, That... and, and most of the earth happens to have no connection to that temple. And I don't think it applies to this temple uh, because that too is much too small to embrace this idea of the whole earth being silent before him. And so I tend to think of this idea of the Lord being in his holy temple not so much to answer the question where is he, as in a a particular place, but who is he? What is his position? And the position of God in his temple is as the object of our worship, that whom we worship. And certainly the worship of God is required of all the earth no matter where they are, inside a building, outside a building, in America, in Africa, and even if they are, happen to be on the International Space Station or farther away, it makes no difference. Because it's not, the focus isn't a place. It's God's position. 
And that very much fits the context here of false gods and idols. That he is the true God, the supreme God, the God of infinite glory and power and majesty. And it is for that reason, not because of where he is, but because of that, because he is the great God. For that reason, we must come before him in silence. And of course, the idols, even as mentioned a couple of times in our passage here, uh, they are speechless in verse 18, mute stones in verse 19. They never speak. The idols never speak. The only God who ever has spoken or ever can speak is Jehovah God, the true God of Scripture. They, they are the gods who speak. Or they, that is, he is the God who speaks. And uh, that, of course, is one of the reasons for us to be silent. So as we think about this idea of being silent before this God, this, this supreme, awesome, majestic God beyond any compare in all the world, all the universe, uh, what does it mean? Why is the earth so urgently urged, all the people of the earth so urgently uh, just cries out to them, shh. And I don't know if it would even be accurate, maybe in the intensity of this idea of shh. Even, say it might even mean shut up, okay? which, which in many contexts is considered kind of a rude statement. Uh, but it sure catches an idea, doesn't it? Uh, would you shut up already? God is in his temple. Why? Because, for one thing, we need to experience the silence of shame. And you know what, it's, you know what it is to be ashamed, right? That um, Think about back when you were a kid and you were caught Parents, neighbors, teachers, whatever you were caught doing, what you weren't supposed to do, and the stern adult said to you, what do you have to say for yourself? And what did you say? If you were smart, you said nothing, right? If you were smart, you said nothing. And that's an appropriate, entirely correct, expression of shame to, to shut up and and and, and you know there's a, there, there's a smartness of, of of teenage years or childhood years when you think you know you're caught red-handed but you think you can talk your way out of it you know, you think you can, you can argue your way or talk your way out of it. And, and the more you say, the worse it gets. Been there? You tried that? Yeah. yeah. Shh. Just shut up. You've been caught. And in your shame, be silent. You know, 
Scripture is very clear, isn't it, about, the, about our sinfulness, and we have already confessed in our service our sinfulness and have pleaded with the triune God to have mercy upon us. And, and it's really, you know, you go through the way that we are taught to deal with our sins before God in that confession of sin and in the Kyrie, the, the, the song for mercy, the pleading for mercy. That nowhere in any of that do we ever, are we ever taught to make excuses. You know, not, there, there's no excuse for our sin. There might be reasons, but that's something entirely different. There's no excuse. There's nothing that we can say and nothing that we can do that can, that can set aside our guilt, that can cast our disobedience before God in a more favorable light. Our sin is atrocious before God, utterly guilty. We could look back here in the book of Habakkuk to chapter 1, verse 13. Your eyes, speaking of God, your eyes are too pure to approve evil. And you cannot look on wickedness. That, that's, that's the purity of God and the, and, the, and the wickedness of our sin. And we are caught red-handed. And that's why it tells us in the New Testament in the book of Romans that the law has been given so that every mouth may be shut before God and every one of us can stand in accountability before him. And I think that's one of the reasons why we are implored in this text to stand silently before God is because of the, of the accurate, the correct, proper sense of shame and of guilt before a holy God that we have no excuses. There's nothing we can say that will make our guilt any less. There's nothing that we can do to, on our own, repair the damage that has been done by our sin. We cannot make amends for it. We cannot redeem it. We cannot set it aside. It will stand until God chooses to deal with it. And praise God that he does that. But we so much need as we stand before God the silence of shame. But we also need the silence of listening. Uh, you, you know, it, it's, it's almost impossible to talk and listen at the same time. Okay. Maybe there are some people that can do it, but it, it's very difficult. And very often, when we're talking, the thing we are primarily saying to somebody is, no, I'm not listening to you, I'm talking to you. Um, and, and we so much, very, very much need the silence of listening. Or we might, might even call it the silence of learning. Our culture is fully given over to the value of self-expression. That, that my worth as a person comes from expressing myself. I have to express myself. I have to express my perverted sexuality. And I have to express my opinion. I have to express, express, express. And, and that's the value of our culture. 
to, to speak what's in your heart and to get it out there. And oftentimes, <laughs> to be in your face about it. And you cannot stop me from saying what I want to say. And we have maybe in some ways taken what for us is a precious uh, promise of our civil rights and the constitution of the freedom to speak and turned it into the obligation to speak. Right? We're not just free to speak, you have to speak. And you have to put your opinions right in everybody's face. That's so much the culture that we are caught up in. And it, uh, it maybe accounts in some ways for the inability of our culture to learn anything. Because if, if our whole emphasis is on speaking out your opinion, it's very hard to learn. Because to learn, you need to listen. Shh. Listen. Learn. Hear the word of God. God says in Psalm 46, Be still and know that I am God. And that too is a that, that phrase "be still" is is not it's a it's an expressive word. It's it's stop. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a it's a command. And know that I am God. That we won't not, we don't know God from all our shouting and all our opinionated opinionating. What do you call it when you express your opinion? You're opinionating or whatever. We, we don't know God from that. We know God and we know truth only from listening. Only from learning. And most of us have some experience of the, of the silence, the quiet of the classroom where, where, where an authority is speaking and the students are listening and learning and certainly as Christians, we have times to witness and times to sing and praise and pray. But we very much come before God to listen and to learn. You know, I think there is kind of in our world today a, a struggle or a, or a conflict or a difference of opinion at least between, uh, between the noisy church and the quiet church. Uh, there are emphases on church that you come and you come to praise and to, and to sing and to pray and to speak out and very little, is, very little attention is giving, given to, to passive listening especially to passive listening to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, that by far the greater emphasis is on our active participation in worship. And by all means, there is a truth to that. But it is also so very, very important for us when we come before God to listen. And especially are we blessed in coming before God to listen to the good news. And that kind of leads us to our third reason for silence or 
or expression of silence. We had the silence of shame and the silence of listening. And we come to the silence of rest. The silence of rest. I, I, I suppose it's happened that somebody somewhere fell asleep in mid-sentence. They were just talking away and all of a sudden they fell asleep. But that's not normal. It's normal that when we stop, that, that in order to prepare ourselves for rest, we stop talking, right? We, we sit in silence or lie in silence. And uh, where, where the kids are resting, right, when it's nap time, such a hush falls upon the house so that there can be rest. And, and, and I maybe think about it this way. One of the greatest expressions there is of trust is silence. If I trust what God is saying and doing, I, I don't need to say anything. Certainly don't need to argue. Don't need to try to convince him to act, act differently. Don't need to try to persuade him of the value of my opinion or of the things I want. When I trust him, when we trust in our God, we are free to live and stand before him in silence. Because what he is saying what he is doing is trustworthy. It is pleasant to us, agreeable to us. And that's very much what faith is. And I think we see that in the third chapter of Habakkuk. There's a long section here uh, from verses 3 through 13 where God speaks about, or, or the author speaks about God's actions. He comes and his radiance goes before him and he and he takes on his enemies, and he rages against them. And it says, finally, in verse 13, you went forth for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. That God is speaking words of salvation, words of comfort, words of mercy and of love. And in silence, we rejoice to hear those uh, incredibly true things. You find it clear in the Old Testament, Isaiah 30, 15, in repentance and rest you will be saved in quietness and trust is your strength. Or in 1 John, in the New Testament, this is the, this is the one that came to my mind in the silence of rest. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Jesus is our advocate. What does it mean to have an advocate? You know, we've all probably had some experience with uh, court proceedings. Uh, nowadays they put them live on TV. But for years they've been making television shows about courtroom, right? What is, what is the guilty, the accused, generally do in the courtroom? 
He just sits there, right? It's the lawyer. It's the advocate who does the talking. And you know, if you got a good lawyer, you just sit there. And of course, there's no, you can't be compelled to speak in the court. You have a right to be, remain silent. And Jesus is our advocate. And the very best thing you can do when Jesus is your advocate is to let him speak. Just silently trust in what he says. And he says he loves you. He says that he carried all of your sins to Calvary. He says that he forgives you. Your advocate says that your sins are washed away as far as the east is from the west. Your advocate says that you are righteous and holy before him. He says that you are a new creature in Christ. You are new. You're not the same person that you were before you were born again. Your advocate says that you are his child and that he cares for you, that he will not leave you, he will not forsake you, that he will, he promises he will defeat every one of your enemies, sin, death, the devil, he will bring them to nothing. Your advocate says that he will take you from this world of sorrow to eternal rest and joy, happiness in his presence. That he will come again. That he will make this world new. Your advocate says that you will live with him forever in perfect fellowship. Man with man. Can't get over that one. Man with man forever. Who wouldn't want to listen to that? And listen and listen and listen. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your uh, wonderful word and for this promise that uh, we uh, take to ourselves and gather together and worship in this truth Sunday after Sunday. And we pray simply by the grace of God that those words that we speak Sunday after Sunday would be very meaningful to us as we live in your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.